Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Okay, well, welcome in, everyone. This is Lynn Vartan. You're listening to the Apex Hour. It's KSUU Thunder 91.1. We have an awesome guest in with us today. She gave a great event, a uh, great talk at our Apex event today, and her name is Shana Begay. Welcome into the studio, Shana. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to tell our audience a little bit about you, and then I, I have tons of questions, of course. So okay. uh, Shana Begay currently is project team leader and senior mechanical engineer at the Nuclear Weapons Systems Group uh, at Sandia National Laboratory in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She's responsible for leading a multidisciplinary team of engineers and scientists, and she oversees the design, testing, and production of over 50 components in a multi-billion dollar program. I think you were saying that you manage like 200 people. That's amazing. It's, yeah, it's definitely a huge responsibility. It's, it's a lot. It's a mouthful for sure. Yeah. And your unofficial title that I've heard you kind of say is something like rocket doctor. Yeah, rocket surgeon. <laughs> I love it. Tell yeah. me a little bit more about what that means. Yeah. So I think the, the easiest way I can relate it to people is that, you know, we have a in the United States, we have um, a nuclear weapon stockpile that, you know, we've had since the end of World War Two right. as a country. And um, so just like how people uh, for um, whatever reason, they'll from ever since the time that you're you're born, you're a baby, you go and you have your regular checkups with your doctor, um, and and that's that's kind of the way that I see my job is that you know I kind of feel like all right, like I'm kind of the the physician in charge of maintaining the health of our of our nuclear weapon stockpile. So it's you know just like you go to visit your doctor, um, I'll do the same thing, but it just happens to be for for nuclear weapons. It's so amazing. Yeah. I I have to admit sheepishly that I had no idea that such a position. I mean, it just never crossed my mind. Right. But of course, this body of armament needs to be taken care of. Absolutely. So, and I know your work is super top secret, so we won't get into too much details, but how long have you been working at Sandia? So it'll be about eight years um, in January. Mm -hmm. um, I went there straight out of uh, out of my, my master's program uh -huh. um, in graduate school. Um, and I've, I've, I really, really enjoy the work there. Um, it's, it's humbling. Um, you know, you have a larger purpose contributing to national security. Um, but at the same time, it's just an incredible place to work. A lot of really intelligent people from all sorts of backgrounds and places across the, the United States. Um, and it, it's just a really great, great place to work. And, you know, we're situated there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which yeah. is only uh, a short drive from from where I grew up. So oh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was great because it was almost like a homecoming too. 
That's perfect. Well, so many people that you're in charge of, I'm sure of all, like you said, all different backgrounds, all different ages and everything. And, um, and then you talked a lot about leadership today and I want to get more into that. Yeah. But you mentioned that it was a bit of a homecoming and, um, I love your story of where you came from and your time on the reservation. I wonder if you could, um, just share a bit of the snapshot of, of kind of where you come from. Sure. So I grew up in, um, Cortez, Colorado, mm. um, living partially on and partially off of the Navajo Reservation. So right in the Four Corners area, right where uh, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah meet. Right. Um, there's there's even a monument there. Um, yeah. My dad's probably there right now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, my, my family comes from, from that area. So um, I grew up at my grandma's house um, while I was younger in Tisnas Pass, Arizona. Um, and then I also had family in Shiprock and, and Hogback, um, yeah. ooh, Northern Navajo chapter shout out. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then I went to school off the reservation in, um, in Cortez. And I did all of my school there. And um, I went from from growing up in a small town community, um, living the the reservation life where you had to navigate not having running water, not having electricity, um, and and certainly you know resources like having access to the internet and right. um, and TV was was a challenge. Um, to then going to college at Florida Institute of Technology, yeah. all the way out in Melbourne, Florida. And um, that was a huge journey. I, I didn't really recognize how big of a journey that was going to be, but it was. Um, I think I mentioned uh, in my in my talk that it was it was a bit eye opening um, right. because I had to. Um, I went I went all the way out to Florida, and my family left me there. I had no relatives. I had no family, um, like close immediate family, no friends that I knew that were out there, um, and no recognizable Native Americans at my school either. So I didn't realize, you know, how isolating that could yeah. feel. And um, so being being able to go there and experience that, it was hard at times. Um, other times it was um, really humbling. Um, and other times it was a really wonderful experience because just, it just directly exposed me to other cultures and other people yeah. um, a lot, a lot faster and um than, than I, than I thought I would, I'd be able to handle. Um, and then getting to come back and moving to Albuquerque back out to the Southwest, it was, it was so nice. Um, cause, you know, like I said, my family is close by. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're told as young, uh, Navajo children that, you know, we're, we're always challenged with going out and getting our education and, um, then bringing that. And then we're challenged with bringing it back. Right. Um, and bringing it back to the homeland and, and helping to forward the cause or the, the tribe, um, in some way. And so me being able to come back, um, and work at the laboratories has been, um, a wonderful experience because it's given me the opportunity to do what I love to do as an engineer but also give back. Yeah. So uh, back to those early days. Yeah. Right? Was, was uh, the engineering, was that always the dream? You were, you were relaying sort of a beautiful story about connecting with the stars as a young yes. girl. And I, I don't know if you don't mind sharing that. That's, oh, I just I'd found that to. to be so beautiful. I'd love to. Yes. So um, growing up on the reservation, as I mentioned, a lot of the, the areas, even to this day, still don't have access to running water, electricity. Right. And um, as a result of that, we actually have the most, the darkest and the most beautiful skies because yeah. uh, we don't have all that light pollution. Right. 
So it's a negative turned into a positive. Yeah. Um, and, and really, that's what my family's always been about, is focusing on the positive. And growing up uh, with my uncles and my cousins and my whole family surrounded by me, they'd always tell me um, stories about, you know, traditional uh, constellations and things that we were looking up at the night stars because we didn't have the distractions or the luxury of um, having iPads or, right. um, you know, having laptop computers and, and and those types of things at our disposal. So uh, we, we got along by sharing stories and um, learning about our culture or even just, just talking as a family. Um, so looking up at the night sky is really where my love of astronomy and science and technology really stemmed from because I was just so curious about looking up at the stars and wanting to know more about what was I looking at? Um, what what were these stories that I was hearing? And then I'd go to school to try to find out more. And I just started getting more and more curious. Yeah. I had a lot more questions. And um, and that's and that's just that feeding that natural curiosity is what uh, led me to where I'm at. And it turned into a love of astronomy, um, then digging into it more I just, um, I didn't know what an engineer was until I was in high school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no one really explained that to me until right. then. And, um, and that's kind of when I had the revelation of, oh, yeah, like, I'm actually more interested in how you, how, how the mechanics of a telescope or a satellite works. Right. What goes into designing that and putting it together as opposed to, like super caring about mm -hmm. what I was looking at. Um, and I still love to do astronomy. I'm still like an, a somewhat of an amateur astronomer oh, really? uh, on my own at home. Um, oh, cool. I certainly love enjoying and, and sharing that love um, and passion with my niece, Aww. who's who's also super into it. Great. Um, so yeah, we still share that and we do that together. Um, but I think making the choice to become an engineer was, was definitely the right way to go for me. Yeah. Yeah. And would you say that that curiosity was always there. I'm at one of the things we talk about on campus a lot is is mm -hmm. how to foster like curiosity is one of the keys to oh, success, sure. you know, and how do you bring that out? So I'm curious in your particular story, was it always there or was it something that kind of blew up when you 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 felt a little success and then it blew up into more and then the curiosity blossomed? What what is sure. it for you? So I think for me, um I was I was always a very inquisitive mm. child. Um, getting to see my niece, I get to hear a little bit more about it because my my mom and dad will chime in and say, "You she she reminds us so much of you when you were little," and she is just so full of questions That's about great. everything. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and they're like, No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. It's just it's your turn to deal with it. And I'm yeah. like, Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of uh, not only did I have that curiosity from a really young age? I think the real key factor to it is my parents weren't afraid to feed it. Oh. So I think a really good memory that I have is when I was younger, I want to say probably in middle school, seventh, maybe eighth grade, somewhere in there. My dad actually took me to um, to Diné College in Shiprock, mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, and they invited an astronomer from Caltech oh, cool. to, to give a talk at the school, much like this Apex series yeah. that you guys mm -hmm. have here um, at SUU. So um, he took me there and had me sit in on the lecture, and I got to hear about it. And, you know, and, and then he forced me to get up and go ask the 
talker, um, a presenter, a, a question. He's I like, you have it. to ask them a question. I love um, that. And stuff. And so from an early age, you know, both of my parents traded off, you know, my mom, um, helped me find, uh, well, first of all, she helped me enroll and participate in science fair projects. Yeah. Um, I went to the, um, there's the American Indian Science and Engineering Society has a national, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Science fair yeah. uh, that they host every year. And um, so she made sure I, I could participate and would drive me all the way out to Albuquerque. Yeah. Um, so I could participate. And um, yeah, they were just always, uh, even when I wasn't with them, you know, and they were on the road at different powwows or events, um, they would, if they'd see something about NASA or space or astronomy, anything, they would, they would get that and they would bring that back to me. So oh, I think so it was cute. just not, not just me, um, having an enthusiasm for it, but I think it was also a big part of that was my parents who fed it. That's a great lesson for all of us because yeah. sometimes I think we feel that we have to create the curiosity and maybe it's not so much that, but we need to see the seeds of it yeah. and then water those seeds. Absolutely. So. That's great. Well, yeah. thank you for all that great info. Yeah. Um, it's time already for our first musical break. Oh my gosh. I did a little research on you and I think you like music and I love music. you maybe perhaps went to a music festival recently. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so, it, and I don't know this artist, but I think it's one that you saw and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but, but Tinashe or Tinashe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I hope that this is the, the same artist that you like, but, um, this is Tinashe and the song is Fire and Flames. Uh, you're listening to the Apex Hour, KSUU Thunder 91.1.
Okay, well, welcome back to the Apex Hour. This is Lynn Vartan. I am joined in the studio with Shana Begay. Uh, we are talking about her life and career and all the cool things that she does as a rocket surgeon. Uh, that song that you just heard is called Fire and Flames by Tinashe, who's new to me, but not new anymore because I'm completely into it. Um, so yeah, check, check out more from this artist. Uh, it's T-I-N-A-S-H-E. So yeah, Fire and Flames was that song. Welcome back, Shana. Hey, thank you. One of the things that um, I really was so excited about and was uh, so enjoyed today is your discussion about leadership. Um, you take your job as a rocket surgeon, but one of the things uh, as you've come into your leadership role there is that you've really uh, studied and um, maybe grown into your own leadership mode and model. And so I'd love for you to just talk about that a little bit. I know we don't want to do too many of the things right. from the discussion today, but if you could just talk a little bit more about kind of that path um, sure. of how you developed your own leadership style. Yeah. And that was, um, it was a much more inward journey than I thought it was going to be. Oh, um, So yeah, I think um, uh, something that I've, I've always kind of recognized is that um, people have always told me from a young age that like, oh yeah, no, like when you're, when you're a leader, like this is, you know, like they, they'd always talk in that kind of tense of like, yeah, in the future we, when, we know. Yeah. We, so they knew, yeah, they knew you didn't know. I, I didn't want to hear it. Um, oh. and so I always, uh, shied away from being a leader. Why? I wonder. Um, I, I don't like attention. Oh. I don't like, I'm not, um, I'm not the person who goes out and seeks attention. Hmm. Um, and I, and that might be a little bit of a cultural thing because I think, um, you know, from, uh, you know, I've always been taught to be humble. Yeah. And that's something that's a really core value um, from from my my background, um, right. my family being Navajo. And um, so that was something that I was always taught, like, you know, like you're, 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 no matter how much individual success that you have, it's never as important as the group success, as the wow. family's success yeah. and stuff. And so I've, I've always been very humble. Um, yeah. And I think that's why I kind of shied away from like, oh, if I'm a leader, like I'm going to stand out too much. Or right. my perception of people who are leaders were people who would tend to stand at the front of the line and beat their chest mm. um, and stuff. And so having that image of leadership um, and going, going into, to college and being away from family and kind of outside of that sphere of influence, I started to learn a different perception of what leadership was, mm -hmm. um, by participating in different groups and activities on the college campus, searching for, you know, a home on right, campus. Right. Um, and then, uh, I think the, uh, um, the really uh, important part of what I thought um, developed me into being a leader is um, being 
being a part of a of a society called the Women of Engineer like Society of Women Engineers mm-hmm. on campus. And I had a friend who she was very loud and outspoken and um her family is very, very proud Italian Americans yeah. and um and so she took me literally by the by the arm and said, we're going to run for president and vice president um, for the society. And she's like, you know, I'll be president. You can be vice president and we're going to have fun. This is going to be great. So I kind of got pulled into, uh, you know, leadership, you know, ah. uh, by by her initially. And then that kind of fed into a few other a uh, few other areas. And I know I shared um, yeah. one story yeah. um, during my talk. But I think that experience um, really taught me, you know, you know, watching her lead and taking over and and having just that enthusiasm and seeing how much um, personality and care she yeah. put into being um, a leader for for that group of women um, and how much uh, just just pure love and um, friendship oh. that she wanted to extend to every single member of, of our group. You know, it was, it was really inspiring watching her, um, do that. And it was something that, you know, just had a profound effect on my perception of what a leader is and can be. I see. Um, and so, uh, once, once I kind of had that experience and, you know, I talked about in, I shared a story in, uh, in our interview after my talk about, um, how I got thrown into the middle of a leadership position on my, my senior capstone project. And that was, um, a complete failure, Mm -hmm. uh, spoiler alert. Yeah. And, um, the, I think, you know, kind of from that point forward to where I'm at today in my career, I've had to go back and kind of revise my views on leadership. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, I had to start, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a scientist and an engineer first. And so what, what do we usually like to do is research. Yeah. Uh, we love data. Yeah. And, um, so I would, I took classes and I started reading about it. If you look at my, um, my phone right now, I'm actually listening to a book, um, about, about leadership right now. And, um, it's actually a book by Simon Sinek and it's about how eaters, uh, leaders eat last. It's oh. really fascinating. Oh, actually, yeah. I just started it. And, um, and so I'm always looking for people's different perceptions. And it's when I had, I started to struggle with being able to identify with how people describe leaders mm. um, because I just, I couldn't culturally connect to that. It mm. wasn't my upbringing. Mm. And so that's why I say it was more, um, more of, more of a journey about discovering um, my culture and going back, going back to that and starting to ask my, my parents and some of my relatives about what do you guys think about leadership? What, what would you say makes a really good leader? Yeah. Or even just sitting there um with with my elders while they're having a discussion and listening to what are they talking about? How do they talk about these these different things we either hear on the news or stories or things going on with the family. Right. And it was from just, you know, doing those observations and trying to read about my culture and learning more from from my family that I started to realize that, you know, the um, philosophy of leadership from within my own culture and tribe is 
has a lot of similarities with what we talk about in terms of um, what makes a good leader mm -hmm. in Western society. So, you know, when we when we imagine a leader, we always think of an executive or right. the president or, you know, different people. Right. Um, and usually it's a very masculine kind mm -hmm. of image. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, the, you know, the tribe that I come from being Navajo is a very matrilineal society. And right. so our image of leadership is feminine. Yeah. Um, you know, which is which is huge because you don't you don't see that a lot right in Western society. And so I felt it was really important to um, to own that yeah. and to bring that with me and make sure that I understood it and I was able to um, embrace it That's awesome. and stuff. And so that was something that I found as I started doing more research that, you know, I, I needed to share that story. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And what, how are some of the ways that that manifests itself on a day to day? I, I think you were telling me that you have some sort of special practices on how you deal with your team and connect yeah. with them. I mean, and there's so many of them. I just don't yeah. know how you do it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, I have my core team members and I think a really important thing is regardless of my position, um, within, within my, my career, I've always made a point to kind of share little tidbits of my culture with people just so they know and understand mm -hmm. where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. So if we have a difference of opinion or if I'm having, you know, trouble like at the beginning of my career with not being, being too afraid to speak up while I'm sitting in a, in a meeting. Right. Um, and, and really it was, it wasn't really that I was afraid to speak up. I think the, the perception was that I was afraid. Right. It was really just a sign of respect. Yes. Right. right. Um, we had a lot of, I was new, new to Sandia. We had a lot of people, um, that, you know, had a lot of experience that had been at the laboratories for decades. Right. And that's intimidating. Well, it's cultural, as you were yeah. saying. I mean, not just Navajo, but I mean, I've seen it in some of our Paiute students here too. But I think that there's this, just this beautiful sense of respect, in, especially in meetings, conversations, this kind of thing that is very different than sort of the westernized, I'm just going to jump right in yeah. at any time. And yeah. you always wait for somebody to finish what they're saying out of respect. And so exactly. I imagine that was a bit of a challenge to it overcome. Was, it was definitely a challenge. And, and like I said, I think that once I started um, once I started to share a little bit of my culture with people, um, and I think the biggest thing that I, I started to share with people was um, just, you know, little words in Navajo or like little concepts in Navajo. And I think um, the first one I shared with a lot of people was, hey, like, you know, like direct eye contact is a little hard for me because right. that's kind of a sign of disrespect. Um, and once I kind of started to share and explain, I felt like people started to um, recognize that in me. And mm -hmm. so, um, and I also think that being, being at the laboratories, it's a very inclusive type place to work anyways. Um, so it really didn't take much. It wasn't, um, a huge hurdle to overcome. Right. Um, so I think that people were, uh, recognizing that in me. And, and so they would stop and ask, Shana, what's your opinion? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was very empowering. Um, and how about the transition on the other end, like going yeah. back to the reservation? Did you have that moment where you would sort of exercise these these different skills, and then you come back and they're like, "Okay, girl, you need to, you yeah, need to, you oh, need to tame I get, bit. yeah, I get." Um, I think my favorite is like, I'll, I'll get, I'll get heat checked by, <laughs> that's great, uh, definitely by my mom. She's never one to. Um, hold her opinion back. And I, I love that about her. Yeah. And, um, and so that's something too, you know, she would, uh, tease me. Um, and that's what we like to do as, as native people is we like to tease each other a lot. 
And so they'd like, oh, big shot or, yeah. you know, like, oh, that's that East Coast attitude or whatever. And it was just a, a good signal to me of, oh, I, okay, I need to slow down and, and back off and yeah. um, kind of remember my place right. um, in my family and make sure I, I, I pay respects to that. Yeah. And I, I love it. Um, I look forward to carrying it on. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, one of the other aspects of what you do has a lot, I think, uh, to do with service and giving back. I know Absolutely. that you've done a ton of outreach, a ton of teaching, a ton of, um, you know, being involved in science fairs and all these different things. And I, I understand that that component of giving back and services is of paramount importance to you. I wonder if you could talk about your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of my biggest passions. And it's something that I'm always striving um, and asking myself to what what else can I do um, to to give back. And that's, it's actually a cornerstone, I want to say, of Navajo culture is that we're always challenging our youth to go get an education to better ourselves. And then with the uh, with the aspect of bringing it back with mm. the expectation that we come back and we contribute to our tribe in some way. Um, and, you know, that's been, uh, like I said, a cornerstone of our, um, of our culture for a really long time. And so it's something that's been instilled um, in me since I was young, you know, hearing my elders and my grandparents and my, um, my parents telling me, you know, directly that this is what I must do. But it wasn't until I was in college and actually, you know, being challenged by my professor to, I developed um, a, a nanotechnology outreach program for high right. school students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also um, worked with the Society of Women Engineers to, you know, uh, to really break break ground on that program and, and develop it. And I, I realized that I had just, I just got this huge sense of accomplishment from being able to share what I learned um, in the classroom and being able to take it and help inspire other young people to go into the STEM field or to go get, you know, a higher education, go to college, um, to just to, you know, dream a little bit bigger about the world. And I think that that sense is, uh, of accomplishment is addicting. Yeah. Um, and and I think that it's something that is is really important to me, um, and a big reason why I I love so my job my I love my job so much at Sandia is because you know I get to have my dream job, working in the aerospace industry, um, but they also um, really encourage me to give back, and the way that I get to do that is by participating in um, outreach programs. Yeah. So I've been able to um, participate in something we call the Dreamcatcher Science Program. It's um, put on by by my company. Um, and so we have members of our um, of our workplace that, you know, all participate and we um, we take it to different communities in New Mexico. And we teach, we give workshops on different science and technology themed classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that's that's branched into now, you know, I keep asking myself, what else can I do? What else can I do? Um, and now that's brought me all the way to serving on the um, engineering advisory board for Navajo Technical University, cool. which I absolutely love. Just encouraging students to, you know, go after their education and, and just, you know, really uh, embrace what they love and what they love to learn about. 
That's great. Thank yeah. you for sharing all of that. I love it all. I think it's time for another song. And yeah. so in my deep dive into your music festival uh, uh, vacation or travels, um, I found uh, Martin Garrix. Um, and I think that um, it was like fireworks to Martin Garrix or oh, something. Oh, it was an amazing show. <laughs> I awesome. I could not, I could not tell you how much how much fun that was that's great i love it the song i have queued up for you is in the name of love Uh, and so we're gonna have a listen to that and you're listening to the apex hour ksu youth under 91.1 if i told you this was only gonna hurt if i warned you that the fire's gonna burn would you walk in would you let Do it all in the name of love Would you let me lead you even when you're blind In the darkness, in the middle of the night In the silence, when there's no one by your side Would you call in the name of love
Welcome back, everyone. Okay, so that was In the Name of Love uh, by Martin Garrix. And this is Lynn Vartan. You're listening to the Apex Hour, KSU Thunder 91.1. Welcome back into the studio, Shayna Begay. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so, okay, Rocket Surgeon. Oh, boy. Um, I know you can't talk about it too much, but I'm sure people are wondering, like, what does that even mean? Do you, like, take a th- stethoscope and put it on the rocket? I mean, and it, it, so generally, can you give me a little bit more insight, just kind of broadly to what what is a rocket doctor? Sure. I mean, it's a it's a mouthful for sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, working for Sandia National Laboratories, our primary mission is uh, the oversight um, and maintenance of the nation's uh, stockpile, nuclear weapons stockpile. Okay. And so um, where I work in particular is in the modernization program. I see. Um, and so what, what we're doing there is essentially taking – weapons that have been in our stockpile and taking them apart, inspecting them and refurbishing them. Wow. Um, and then, you know, making sure that we, you know, put them all back together, repackage them so that they can go back into service. Oh. And so it's kind of like almost restoring an A old car. car. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Which is, which is really fascinating because I think um, the, the thing, the mindset you almost have to have is, you know, like not – just just to keep with the imagery here, right, is that, you know, monitoring the health of the stockpile and everything. But um, you almost have to play both um, engineer as well as historian. Yeah. So you have to dig into the history of it a little bit and really appreciate, um, you know, the 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 design of these of these weapons and just how sophisticated they are it's so you, it's amazing you have to lo- i mean you had to learn the design basically of all of them and 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 when they were designed probably also yeah. makes a huge difference a- absolutely you know? i you know if if i could sit down and interview um, someone that you know worked in that era, it would it would answer so many questions. So you um, would love to. I would love to. Is there um, any chance? And, is and there we anyone? have some chances yeah, like probably. that, and you know, and thankfully, you know, Sandia has you know a lot of great people, um, yeah. and even people that have been great mentors to myself. Yeah. Um, as I've taken on this endeavor, because you know I'm very young, and um, you know I'm, I'm very young, especially compared to the age of some of these weapons. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's been a huge learning experience and, you know, being able to um, delve into the history of them as well as the importance that they play um, in protecting our our country has been uh, astounding. Wow. It sounds fascinating. Absolutely. It's, it's a new challenge every day. Yeah. It really is. A lot of problem solving. A lot of problem solving. Yeah. Everything's different. I mean, when you think like using the car analogy, you know, different cars, maybe rust at different rates because of where they are, you know, if they were out in the rain more, if they were in an environment. So I'm sure you run across all that kind of stuff too. Absolutely. And then, you know, even talking about, you know, uh, a car that was a Ford uh, Fiesta that was built in the, um, you know, in the eighties is completely different than a Ford Fiesta built you know, today, um, it, it's, it's just, you know, the design evolves and, you know, people change things. Um, the technology evolves. I mean, um, you know, you, you, you look at some of the, the technology that I'm looking at and I'm like, a lot of that doesn't exist today. Yeah. And so we have to engineer our way around that and, and stuff. And so that's a lot of, um, what I, 
a, lo- a lot of the challenges that I face today is, you know, how do we um, take these these weapons and bring them into the future with us and make sure that we can um, they, that they stay safe, secure and reliable. Right, right. That is so cool. Yeah. I just think it's so cool. <laughs> and um, and and then you know, going forward into the future, I mean, what do you hope or, or what do you feel? And this is pretty obvious, but the significance of your position and your job in terms of our future in terms of like, what, what's the impact of what you do? Oh, the impact is huge. And I think that's what what drew me to uh, working at the laboratories is is the mission, the core mission um, is, you know, monitoring the health of these weapons and the impact is, is really comes down to national security. Um, you know, nuclear weapons ended World War II. And ever since then, we've, we've never experienced another world war. Right. And that's, that's a huge impact. If you can sit there and because of the work that you do, that I do every day going into work and knowing that this is literally preventing another world war from breaking out. This is literally saving lives yeah. uh, by going to work every single day and solving these these many challenges that we have every single day. Um, makes make sure that our country stays safe, and that's that's you know inspiring. Yeah, and it's what keeps me keeps me going every single day. That's amazing. Do you have? I mean, would you like to go into any other areas, or do you have your eye on, or are you like? Man, this nuclear weapon thing, this, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I mean, do you have other, is this your dream job or do you have other dreams beyond this? So that's, that's a really good question. I mean, this is, this is a really fascinating area and and very much so a a niche community. Um, And yeah, I I do have other interests. You know, I, I said earlier that, you know, I like to still do a little bit of amateur astronomy. Yeah. And, you know, I still have, um, some some interest in getting back to my aerospace roots, you know, and going back and and going back to to space exploration and things like that. Oh so, wow, yeah. Um, I but at the same time, you know, working working in in this field at the laboratories is is still just it's so challenging and it's um a a really unique environment to be yeah. in. So it's it's not something I'm completely done with yet. Um, but yeah, I definitely have other interests yeah, too. There's more. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. But Sandia sounds like an incredibly diverse and interesting environment to work in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I like I said before. You know, the core mission of the laboratories is you know the nuclear weapons systems, um, and but really that accounts for only about half of what people at the laboratories do. No. You know, it is a national laboratory. We have uh, what we call work for others that we do as well. Um, oh. So there's and there's multiple locations. So our main location is in Albuquerque. Oh, I didn't know. And we have about 11,000 employees that work there. So it's our main campus. 11,000. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's and the size of our university. It's huge. Um, and then there's another site in California, Livermore, California, about a couple thousand there. Wow. And um, and so a lot, we have a combustion research facility where they're doing a lot of work on either car engines, diesel engines, um, all the way up to jet engines, just all kinds of research there. Um, we have material scientists that work for us. They're, they're a great group of people. Um, to people that, you know, work with small businesses even, um, oh. helping them to develop their technologies. I huh. ran across a guy who was helping a small business. There was a, a guy who created a business in Albuquerque 
who was an EMT, and he designed his own um, shears that mm. he wanted to use in the ambulance truck with himself and had it was like a multi-tool oh. and stuff. And so he was working with this with this guy through the Small Business Association to, to help him um, improve his dy- design and take it so it was ready to go be manufactured. Mm. So it just the work that we do at the laboratories is so wide and so diverse, um, and it has many, many more impacts, I would say, um, than just beyond what we do with with nuclear weapons. I, yeah, I didn't realize that, you know, sort of, ha- well, first of all, how big the campus you're on is and yeah. that there were other locations. Is it, uh, is it a private organization or what's its affiliation? Right. So it's um, an FRDC, I believe. So federally, so it's a federally funded um, research and development center. I see. Okay. So we are a we have a private corporation. Um, I am a private, considered to be a private contractor. Okay. But it is a Department of Energy run facility. I see. Yeah. Okay. So it's, um, it's, uh, I would be considered a, a government contractor. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, is there anything that you can say about your job right now? Or, and it could, and not specifics, it could be about the leadership or about uh, the communication or anything. Is there anything that really surprised you, uh, about, about, about your job or or continues to surprise you? I I would say what surprised me when I first got to Sandia and still continues to surprise me is just how wonderful a place it is to work. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, a lot of companies these days, they talk about how, oh, you know, we're all about um, work-life balance and da-da-da-da-da. But, you know, you have employees that are working 24/7, right? Yeah. No, I from day 1, um Sandia has really promoted uh work-life balance, you know, just from um having lots of great benefits and everything which you don't really think about when you're first coming out of school. Right. Right? So um, true. to to today where, you know, even in my leadership position, I have this great wonderful team that works really really hard. Um, but then I have a manager that will come in at the end of the day every day. And if I'm still in my office, he strongly encourages me to go home. Wow. And it's, it's such, it's such a unique and awesome place to be. That's great. Yeah. Gosh, you don't, that's not something you hear. Like, that's funny. I say, what surprises you about your job? And you're like, how amazing it is. What a great place to work. Yeah. That's really such a great testament yeah. to, to, to all of you that work there and to the, to the organizational structure and just the way yeah. that that company is run. That's amazing. I, absolutely. I, I love it so much. Cool. <laughs> I have one more song and uh, this is a, uh, the band Odessa, which you told me were, was new to you. It was also. new to me. Yes. And, and we both now really like, like oh, it. And you absolutely. heard them at the festival as well. This song is called A Moment Apart. Uh, you're listening to the Apex Hour, KSUU, Thunder 91.1.
All right. Welcome back, everyone. Well, Shane and I have just been here geeking out on music and email and all kinds of things. So uh, you're listening to the Apex Hour KSU Thunder 91.1. That song was A Moment Apart by Odessa, and it's O-D-E-S-Z-A. So cool. This perfect blend of like chill, but yet also energetic at the same time, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I do my best work while listening to them. It's yeah, it's just the perfect blend of like energy, but chill. Totally. Yeah, it, it puts me in the zone. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of work, you were mentioning this cool concept because I was asking you, speaking of work, how did your email go since you have like 200 people? Oh, yeah. And and I was saying how I can get a little overwhelmed with trying, I love trying to stay up with email, but there's this like Sisyphusian mountain always to climb and you had some great insight. Would you mind oh, sharing that? Absolutely. I think, um, yeah. Yeah, I I used to get so overwhelmed with uh, all of the email and trying to keep up with a lot of people. It's it's hard. I mean, um, and it never ends. And it never ends, right? And and stuff. And so I actually had a coworker tell me, like Shana, like it's always going to be there. And I think just just you know having him tell me that it kind of made me realize I was like, well, okay, so this is my burden to bear. But for now, and I'm going to keep doing that until I can no longer do it. And then I'll just pass it on to the next person. So it's, it's kind of helped me relax a little bit and say, yeah, no, this is my burden to bear. And it's my privilege to bear it. Right. And I will continue doing that until I no longer can. Then I know it's someone else's turn to take it over. So yeah. it kind of helps me relax and say, all right, yes, it's a mountain to climb. But, you know, it's just because it's my turn to do it right now. I love that. Yeah. I'm totally going to like remember that and like <laughs> go back to the transcript because I think that's just a really great outlook to have on it. And it's a very yeah. holistic, um, very uh, group oriented, you know, yeah. serving the all, you know, that, yeah. that this mountain of email is not just about you. It's it's about who you're serving and what you're Absolutely. serving. So. Absolutely. Well, that was amazing. That was like an unexpected gem <laughs> in, the, in the music break. So there you go. I have one last question for you you okay. it's our it's my Already. favorite last question i know the hour goes by so quickly oh, man but it's my favorite last question to ask and um it's the question is what's turning you on this week and oh, it man. can be anything it can be a book or a tv show or a movie or food or whatever you want oh, it doesn't matter I, I could probably spend at least another 10 hours talking about that <laughs> well that means yeah. you like a lot of things i that's love awesome. a lot of things well I so think, um, you know that's that's what we do and it just gives our audience a way to kind of get a little more insight Right? So sure. Shane and Begay, what is turning you on this week? Oh my gosh. I'm going to hashtag nerdy native out a little bit right now. I love it. And um, right now I am all about the Mandalorian. Okay. Uh, so Disney plus uh, just <gasps> came out this oh. week and they, they've been showing this like TV series based on star Wars and Oh my gosh. I watched the first episode on my way up here. So Thank you, Southern Utah University. Gave me an opportunity <laughs> and excuse to watch it. And I watched the first episode and my mind was blown. Did you oh, love it? Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so in love with it right now. Okay, and it's, it's only Apple Plus, right? Um, yeah, only on Disney Plus right oh, now. Oh, Disney Plus, right. Yeah, okay, oh cool. my gosh. And it's called uh, The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, yes. All right, that's what's turning Based on, on our bounty hunters, man. Uh, uh, I love it. <laughs> that's so cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for spending the time here. I have loved 
learning about your life, your history and what you do. And I just find it so inspiring. So thank you so much for your generosity and for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Yay. All right. Well, we have one more week in this fall semester uh, for our Apex series. So we'll be back right at you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.